When news of Janice's resignation was made public, her office was in shock and they had good reason to be. After all, they were losing a rock star in computer science. To her peers and bosses, Janice's 15-year career as a research scientist was nothing short of outstanding. The projects she managed and the teams she led had a terrific track record, delivering successful data models and analyses for major governments and corporates. But Janice wanted to do more. Her dream? To launch a consultancy of her own. And to jumpstart her career as an entrepreneur, she had to learn new skills. Skills that would equip her in building, running, and marketing her company. That was why Janice needed to commit to a full-time MBA. With her computational mind, she would go on to capture business problems and develop unique strategies over her future competitors. It was the beginning of her new learning journey. This is Future Social, a podcast series from the Singapore University of Social Sciences that explores issues which are rapidly and profoundly changing our lives on the social, cultural and economic fronts. And to prepare for the future, we must confront and embrace these new ways of change. I'm Daniel Thier and welcome to Future Social. In this podcast, we will explore the future of work and learning. We will discuss what it means to flourish in the face of new demands at work. Not everyone is or can become an entrepreneur, but the story about Janice's learning journey raises a key point about a lifelong learning plan. We can take active responsibility for our self-development at different stages of our lives. Our guest speaker today is Dr. Jimmy Wong, a senior lecturer in marketing at the School of Business, SUSS. He has research interests in consumer and cultural psychology. Jimmy, very warm welcome to you to our podcast. I'm very glad to see you finally in a studio and we can actually meet face to face with safe distancing measures. Thanks for having me. Lifelong learning and upskilling are buzzwords these days. Can you share with us why there is such a strong push for workers to acquire new skills today? Well, as you know, um, the new economy is really what you call the knowledge economy. It is in fact based on the richness of information, knowledge in which employees possess. So to enhance businesses, employees need to kind of put together all those things that they know from different domains, different areas, so that they can actually test their ideas, help ideate and from prototype Mm. and come and create actual working uh, products. So in that context, I would say that the more skills you have, the more knowledge that you have, it's it's going to be beneficial. In fact, if you can be a polymath, I think that would be most Mm. ideal. Now, can you tell us a little more about what polymath means? Well, um, polymath is um, is derived from two Greek words, right? The first word poly, uh, which means much, a lot. Math comes from the word uh, methanian, which means the process of learning. So you really put the two words together, it's simply used to describe a person who is extremely curious and passionate about learning, interested in um, a lot of different topics. So if you Google this word online, the typical individual that pop up in which people use it to describe is Leonardo da Vinci. Mm-hmm. He's an artist, he's a scientist, and he also has a medical background as well. So that's uh, you know what you 
called a true blue polymath. Mm. But if you if you look at it in its true essence, in the true sense, a polymath has been used to describe someone who is interested in multiple topics. Mm. It's never meant to be, you know, talking about using different knowledge that's related to work, uh, using that interest to make money. Mm. It's not that. So, but of course, I'm, I'm using it in the context, you know, current context that to, to try to explain how if you are a worker, if you're an employee, and if you you know want, if you adopt a polymath mindset. You, you can actually see a lot of benefits that can bring to you in terms of your job and your career development. Mm. So I'm hearing, uh, if I understand you correctly, that polymath or polymathic mindset in our current context is a person who can join the dots in some ways. Now, you have told us a little bit about what the benefits are in adopting a polymathic mindset. Can you tell us a little bit more about challenges as well? Perhaps an example. Challenges for being, um, of being a polymath is that I think a lot of people are fearful of learning. They tend to think that learning is what you do in school, mm. which I would like to bring up the point that if you think about it, unfortunately, our education model kind of like train a lot of people to think that for the first 20 years of your life, you are learning. Mm. For the next 45 years of your life, you are working, you're doing. That's the part whereby you're, yep. you're having a career. And then the next 20 years, you retire. You're simply not doing anything. So. That is not good. That's not going to apply. That's that's the 80s model. Mm-hmm. In in the current times, I think being a polymath means that you need to continuously learn, which probably explain why the buzzword right right now we hear a lot through popular media, lifelong learning, mm-hmm. that kind of things. So the challenge then people will say that I've stopped learning since I left school. Yeah. Is it it's it's going to be difficult for me to go back into a classroom to learn? But the reality is that you do not necessarily need to go back to the you know classroom to learn. In fact, I have a mentor who once told me, whenever there is a willing student, there is always a willing teacher. Yeah. It all depends on whether to you have the heart, you know, to, to open up to uh, relearn the, the the ways of uh, uh, learning skills. Mm. I think that is something that I try to teach and inculcate in my students to have that kind of mindset. Yeah. I was hoping that I could just uh, drill in on what you're saying here about acquiring new skills and having this mindset. Let's use an example that I think is current enough. The retail business, for example, is going through a very difficult time, not just for tenants, but also for developers who manage the entire mall. Can you give us an example about how this polymathic mindset uh, can be applied to this particular context? Sure. Let me try to describe the context first. So more managers in the old days, I think their job is just to manage tenants. Yeah. To get in the right tenants, fill up a, a shopping mall with the desired brands, mm-hmm. and then that's it. So they will do also promotion, for example. They may have events, and the crowds automatically come in. But as we can see right now, especially in the COVID-19 situation, okay, crowds are not going to retail more. Even, even before this, they, they were saying that more traffic is going down and everyone is going online, that kind of thing. Yes. So assuming that a mall management or a company wants to design an app to help tenants pull their resources together, share data, okay, so immediately the data, the, the yeah. word data came, comes in, yes. right? So share data in which different partners, different tenants, it could be a bubble tea seller mm-hmm. with a, let's say, a fitness club uh, owner. So how can they have joint promotion without the more managers coming to actually, you know, to, to, to initiate a handshake? Mm-hmm. Can they actually do a handshake on their own because they have an app? And on top of that, 
right? That is what you call the interface in which the tenants can interact. There could also be an interface in which the consumers can interact mm. with the tenants. So what you create is an ecosystem. Now, this is a relatively new idea. Now, this is the backdrop. So imagine someone in the company, the mall management team suggested this. In order for this to come true, you need to have people who design an app. Yeah. You need the people who has interacted with the tenants mm-hmm. to know what their problems are when it comes to collaboration. You need to talk to consumers who will probably share, okay, what is some of the issue registering with apps on such things because you're giving your emails and how do you participate? What's the coupons? What's the promotion? So there are lots of moving parts mm-hmm. in order for this app to become a reality. Traditionally, if you're a mall manager, you do not need to be part of any of this. Mm-hmm. So, however, if you're a polymath, okay, and you're interested in social media marketing, you're interested in app design, you are also keen on understanding UX, user uh, experience interface mm-hmm. and design thinking process, project work, stuff like that. That is when you become extremely valuable because you can lead a project. You do not need to be an expert in all these different domains. You just need to know enough to form a team Mm. to pull in the right people, for example, and an app designer, to pull in a front desk service operator because that person speaks to customer. You pull in a few tenants who are willing and active in terms of using social media because they will love these such electronic ideas in which mm. we can connect with people socially through social media, right? Yeah. So think about that. In the old school, a more manager versus a new one in which this new one has so many skills not an expert, mm. okay, but know enough to come and put together a theme. So if we compare these two individuals, I think the company will find that the one who's able to put the team together is really contributing to the company mm. and this employee will be really valued by the company. Thank you very much for that. So I can see your arguments from the more management perspective that consumer habits, the environment around us have changed. So there's a need for you to adopt a polymathic mindset. What about the tenants themselves in terms of the polymathic context that we're talking about? What can we do to encourage buy-in to this app, for example, to encourage all of them to come in? Because the underlying assumption here is a win-win situation for everyone if we buy into the concept from the mall's perspective, from the tenant's perspective, and of course the consumer's. What do we do to encourage tenants, not just people who run the shop, but all the workers below it who need to buy into this app and to execute them. What do they need to do practically to have a polymathic mindset? I think the first thing to do, the first two things to do is to talk about these two concepts called a CQ and a PQ. Mm. CQ stands for curiosity quotient. PQ stands for passion quotient. Now, in order to let the audience understand a little bit better, remember you know, the bus acronyms back in the 80s when you talk about IQ and EQ. IQ is about, you know, how your intelligence, right? Yes. How smart you are. So the point of time whereby people say that you need to have high, high IQ. Then we reach the 80s and we say that IQ is a given. Now we need to be emotionally connected. The EQ part comes in. Yes. So of course, you know, if you look into business literature, there's a lot of such cues going on. But um, for a polymathic mindset to work, CQ, curiosity quotient, Passion, caution, CQ, PQ are two very important elements. Because only if you're curious, okay, only if you're curious, then that, that is an essential um, ingredient for you to, to, to discover, to go on to this journey to discover more things. And if you need to be passionate, 
in order for this learning to be sustained. So if you take CQ and PQ and you're able to open up an employee's mind and you can ask, if you work into the future and to approach the new retail scene, mm. having an app whereby everyone is tied into the same ecosystem, is it going to benefit not just the tenant, is it going to benefit the business, you'll benefit value because most of us right now, because of COVID-19, we have truly seen the benefits of online shopping. Yeah. But does it mean that offline shopping, a visit to the mall, it's going to be you know, a, a thing of the past? I do not think so. Mm. I think it becomes a new playground. Mm. Okay, there is opportunity here. Retail is not dead. They just need to evolve. So when you put this forth, uh, put this forward and you let the employers, employees see that the new reality is coming, if you are curious and you are passionate enough to lift, mm. I think that is going to be really powerful because then they will start to see, okay, I think it's time to change. Mm. I, let's just embrace this idea and see how, where it brings us. So that is the, at the foundation level, right, at the bottom. Okay? Other challenges which I'll see is the technical part. A lot of people do yeah. not understand how, you know, they say, oh no, I'm, I need to do maybe app design course. I need to know, you know, Python programming, stuff mm. like that. I'm not expert in this area. I don't, I'm not even an you know, engineering graduate. How do I learn all this? The, the beauty thing, I'm, I'm going to talk about what my ex-sales manager told me before. Okay, I was a pharmaceutical rep. Yeah. Okay, I sell medicine. So there's a point in time I get too entrenched in understanding the pharmacokinetics of medicine. And what does that mean exactly? Oh, it, it means, you know, when, a, when you consume a drug, okay, how is it being metabolized by the mm. liver? How do you break down the ingredients? And what are the chemicals that works? Mm. I get lost in it. And then my manager came to me and told me one day, Jimmy, you're here to sell the product. Yeah. You're not here to sell the science. So let's come back to the app thing. We are not asking people to take programming courses just to design the app. Mm. There are specialists out there in which you can employ as part of the gig economy to design the app. But you need people to, with experiences and skill sets from different domains to come in to provide the input. All we are asking for people to do is to understand basics in mm. app design for you to be proficient, to engage mm. in a meaningful conversation with an app designer so that your own uh, prior knowledge can come into play so that you can articulate it in the way where the app designer knows what you're talking about and yeah. it starts to make sense. So we, we're talking about that kind of learning some may argue that this is superficial, right? Jack of all trades, you're going to be mm. master of none. However, because not many people realize that we all have a certain skill set within us. Mm. The mall manager, for example, has been managing malls all this time. That is the core skill set. That is the speciality. So having supplementary skill add on to it, that will enhance the whole package. So that mm. is the idea we're trying to put forth to the new generation, to, to my students, to let them know that you can be trained in marketing, but do pick up some other relevant skills that can support it and mm. offers a package so that you can add more value than just being telling people that I only do marketing. So I want to pick up on this point about supplementary skills for students of a certain generation. Let's use the more context again. And in certain large brands, they hire a large number of part-timers of which they are students or perhaps uh, staff who are part-timers in a Medeca generation. Now, in those contexts, if we were to roll out an app like this, for example, to generate data, 
how do we encourage them to nurture and cultivate curiosity and passion? Because the part-time job here is expedient and instrumental in some ways. It's just for a limited time and I might just move on to some other job. How does this polymathic mindset help them although their job here is just for a very transient period? Well, for, for the younger generation, I will usually tell them to be patient mm. with the older generation, okay? Because there will always be blind spots. Yes. In fact, likewise, for the older generation, I will ask them to be patient with the younger generation mm. too. So it's only when these two groups of individuals, I'm, I'm using it in a very yes. abbreviated term, right? The younger and older generation. Uh, I'm not trying to stereotype in any way. But when you put these two groups of individuals together, we will encourage both of them to learn from each other. Mm-hmm. Because the young generation may think, ah, what do the older generation know? They don't even know much about social media. But you'll be surprised. The only reason why the older generation doesn't know about social media is because they do not know where to start asking questions. Mm-hmm. So when you put them together in the room and you run a workshop, I've seen this done quite often, okay? Once you break down the barrier of learning, mm-hmm. you'll be surprised. Both sides of them will actually ask each other questions in a very constructive way, which you find heartening because the value that comes out of it is, is just enormous. There are skill sets which the young do not see in the older generation. And that is the work experience, the management experience, their ability to foresee hiccups. Okay. Now, the younger generation provides another new lens, and that is the ability to apply technology in a way that the older generation will never ever even imagine. They don't even know, for example, a real example, when I teach social media, when a young generation talks about laser point targeting when it comes to advertisement. Mm-hmm. So you can put a pin on an advertising app, you can actually target within one kilometer yeah. radius and just blast out the advertisement within that one kilometer radius. So the older generation find this fascinating, mm-hmm. okay? And the young generation thought, that, hey, this is norm, right? But but when you put the two groups together, you start to see the interaction, you'd be surprised. At the start, it is difficult. But once that barrier is broken down, the learning process between the two cohorts is just enormous. This is really good. In fact, that's the reason why I say that both sides, both groups of people, the minute you train yourself to put on that polymathic cap, mm. magic starts to happen. So the putting on of this polymathic cap, if I understand you correctly, is in some ways to become a generalist in what we do, to acquire a set of skills and to continually develop interests in areas that we don't necessarily have expertise in. Does this mean, or rather, what does it mean for the specialist and is there any future for them? Ah, okay. Uh, that's a very interesting question. So I'll use an example such as a Python a programmer. So assuming that you're an expert Python programmer, you're a specialist. You are a specialist now in this time, mm-hmm. but it's not going to guarantee you a lifetime of employment. It's like back in the 70s, remember? When you graduate, you're a specialist. People look up to you. And then when it comes to the 80s, what happens? You need to have an MBA. Mm-hmm. So the, it evolves. So a specialist today might eventually lose its appeal. So I would suggest that rather than saying that, you know, oh, um, you're a specialist, so you have a good career, you're a generalist, you may not have a good career. Rather than think about that, I think what we should all do is that we should try to be, okay, a specialist in one area, but along the way, we develop a polymathic mindset and try to create a generalist out of us. Mm-hmm. If you Can you imagine if you're an expert Python programmer, okay, at the same time, you have an MBA, or you have a DBA, right? Uh, a DBS in a doctor in business administration, right? So when you actually focus on research, you can traverse 
between the tech world as well as the management world. I think that will be that will add even more value than just being a Python programmer in a tech company. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to Future Social. You may find the next part of this episode on suss.edu.sg slash podcast or on your preferred podcast listening platform.